Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So before I introduce our speaker, our custom is to go around and introduce ourselves. I encourage you to just take a breath before you say your name, and I will begin. My name is Michael. Uh, I'm Tim. Francesco. I'm Kay. My name is Greg. I'm Benito. I'm Brian. I'm Richard. I'm AJ. My name is Peter. My name is Oswaldo. My name is Pat. I'm Jerry. My name is Ray. I'm Jack. My name is Cass. I'm Michael. I'm Brad. Peter. I'm George. My name is David. I'm Mel. My name is Don. I'm Grisha. My name is Tom. My name is Glenn. I'm Jim. I'm Hal. My name is Joe. Jay. I'm Joe. I'm Jerry. I'm Heather. <laughs> okay, it's my pleasure to introduce Heather Sunberg. Heather Sumber began teaching meditation in 1999. Beginning her own meditation practice in her late teens, for more than 20 years, Heather has studied with senior teachers in the inside meditation and Tibetan traditions, and has sat one to three months of retreat a year for the last 15 years. She has completed the four-year Spirit Rock Insight Meditation Society teacher training. She's a teacher for Mountain Stream Meditation Center in the Sierra Foothills, and also teaches classes, day-longs, and retreats nationally, especially at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Welcome back, Heather. Yeah, it's great to be here. Do you need to do anything with the recording device, or is it on? It's on. It's on, great, that's easy. Oh, it's so good to see everybody again, and, and George, I'm seeing more of the flowers than you, but I'm glad you're over there. <laughs> yeah, so I just came down from Nevada City, where I live, um, yesterday, and I'm on my way to Spirit Rock to teach a week-long retreat. So whenever that's the case, and it happens to fall over uh, the time of a Sunday morning, I always contact you guys and say, hey, do you need a guest speaker? <laughs> so um, we must have scheduled this a good year ago, and I realized... Um, even though I'm, I'm a very occasional visitor, some of you I haven't even met yet, I think I've been coming for more than half a dozen years now. So remembering a time when I just moved several moves ago, and the first thing I did was show up here, and, and just the kindness of the community, saying, oh yeah, I know what it's like to have a move, how are you doing? And I just really appreciate you all so much. Uh, in terms of a topic for reflection this morning, I changed my mind at the very last minute. <laughs> Happens. 
because there's a, a simple teaching or topic that just in the last week has been really fun for me to explore, and I explored it in my home community up in Nevada City um, a few days ago, and I thought, oh, this would be fun to bring here as well. So, explore it in a slightly different way so that I don't get bored, right? Um, and what it is, it's, it's, a, it's actually a traditional teaching, but I'm going to approach it in a non-traditional way. And it's called Five Things That Wake Us Up. So it's nice to have lists of things that we might remember, one or two of them, just to use in the moment. I think before I go any further, I also just want you to help me with a mindfulness practice. There was a large gathering of people last night because I don't see some of my community um, from here so often anymore. So I'm noticing that my voice is a little bit compromised. So if you ever um, have trouble hearing me, if you could just put a finger up in the air, that will help me increase volume and uh, stay mindful. So five things that wake us up. Before I give you the traditional list, I'll give you some of the play that I've been doing before I approach the traditional list, because I just love things like five things that wake us up. What could they be? So I came up with a short list as I was driving down here from Berkeley, which is where I stayed last night. You might come up with your own. So a few things I thought of that aren't on the traditional list that wake me up. Uh, cold showers. I recently was talking to somebody that I know really well, and we have a very, very close relationship, and they said something that completely caught my attention. And it was one of those situations where they said something and I literally turned, what? What did you say? So it woke me up out of my idea of who I am, who they are, who we are together. Something new arose, and that's what I'm interested in, in things that wake us up. What are they waking us up out of? They're waking us up out of our old habits, they're waking us up out of kind of the, just the way that we live on automatic pilot at times. Uh, they're waking us up out of the contraction of who we think we are into something greater. So that was why when this person said this thing, it doesn't even matter what they said, it just turned, what? Woke me up. Another thing that woke me up recently is that up in the Sierra foothills right now, you may not know this, um, actually the whole Central Valley, but up into the foothills, uh, we're in an inversion period, and of course we all know there's a lot of fires and we're in profound drought. So at some point a few days ago, I looked out the window and my perception was, huh, maybe one of those early fall mountain thunderstorms because there was no blue in the sky. And then I quickly realized, no, that's not one of those possible thunderstorms. This is smoke. And it just woke me up out of whatever I was doing at the time. I was doing some admin work. And you know how I just get consumed in our original project and who we are doing that project. And it's all about that. And it woke me up to something greater, which is you know, the West Coast is on fire, We're in the middle of a drought, a lot of people are being affected. It's much bigger than me, so it woke me up to something bigger. And it woke me up to uh, caring. So those are some very non-traditional things that might wake us up. I'm sure some of you are now curious what's the traditional list. The traditional list is this. <coughs> Five things that help us wake up. Uh, firstly, wise friends on the spiritual path. 
And then secondly, continuing to reorient our compass towards basic integrity. Thirdly, having the privilege of being able to hear the Dhamma. And when I say Dhamma, what I mean by that word is, yes, the teachings out of meditation traditions, influenced by Buddhism, of course, but also Dhamma as just having the privilege of being able to hear and receive the truth of how things are, the nature of things. And that might not come from coming to a group like this. I'll give some examples of that. Fourthly, something that wakes us up is actually how we apply wise effort, which is a terrible translation, I think, in America at this time, of a teaching that is much more about balance and harmony than efforting. So reflect a little bit about that, how we approach balance in our lives and on this path. And then the last one is an insight, and it's an insight into how things change. And when we're in harmony with that insight, we're not fighting change, we tend to be much, much more awake and free in ourselves. So that's the traditionalist. Admirable friendship. I was realizing, as was shared, I've been meditating for some time and since I was in my late teens, and I was realizing actually that everybody that was spiritual friends to me early on in my meditation path, almost all of them have passed away now. And not some of them were older than me, but not much older than me. And so I was reflecting on that recently, and it definitely ties in with the insight on change. It's like my original spiritual friends, I can't go have a conversation and say, can you show me who I am today? But I can remember back to the ways that they did see me and I saw them, and that they showed me the way, and just um, really have that gratitude. It was brought home deeply to me this last winter I taught the month-long meditation retreat, the March uh, portion of the two-month meditation retreat at Spirit Rock. And that was the retreat that I actually grew up in as a meditation student. So I started when I was very, very young, and I did it every year for a lot of years, that two-month retreat. And it's been a privilege in recent years to be able to support other people now to go on their journey. So I showed up at this retreat, and one of the first things you do when you're teaching a retreat is you look at the list of who's there. And with these large retreats, it's just a list of 90 names. And it doesn't say where they're from or anything about them. That's before you get the rest of the paperwork. So it's just this list. And I always look at it and try to find a name that I might have known somebody from before. And it's kind of hard, you know, just 90 names. Who are these people? I was running through the list, and I paused at this one name. I was like, huh. Um, And I'm not very good with last names. It's great that you all introduce yourself by your first name. I might remember a few of those, and probably it's the same for you. If we introduced ourselves by our full name, we'd probably remember less names. Uh, And so I looked at this one name, and uh, the name was Becky, and I thought, oh, you know, one of my very, very first Dharma friends at my very, very first long retreat was named Becky. No, it couldn't be the same Becky. What if it is? 
And so I sort of smiled and remembered her. Now, Becky and I did a six-week retreat together. We were totally silent. And what we did with another friend of mine who has since passed away, John, uh, was we did dishes together after lunch every day for six weeks. All we said to each other was occasionally we whispered, how are you doing? And we'd go, okay, terrible, you know, whatever, how are we doing? Because we weren't supposed to talk, but we cheated a little bit. Uh, because we cared about each other, you know, it's fueled by caring. And I'd seen her some in the subsequent years, but we'd lost touch. And sure enough, I'm sitting up front the very first night, second row back, there's Becky. I almost leaped off the stage and grabbed her in a bear hug. And then I realized that the other 90 people might have a lot of thoughts and opinions about that, so I didn't do that. It was amazing to see her and to remember my other two friends from that retreat who passed on. Linda, who passed on a year after that retreat, was actually there when she died. And then my friend John, who just passed on a year ago. Why am I telling you this story? Because we all have stories of the people who originally inspired us on the spiritual path. And even though we might have a lot of people come and stand in after that, they come, they go, they come, they go. For me, there's something special about those original folks. And they don't know that they're special. We just happen to run into each other at a particular time. This gathering I went to last night, there were a couple of women there who I worked with um, serving kids and families and youth in the Dharma for 10 years. I hadn't seen them so much since I moved out of the Bay Area. Again, it was this moment in time, this decade in our lives, that we supported each other to be of service and to deepen our own spiritual practice. It was interesting. We were talking last night, and they said to me, Heather, because my role was the director and head teacher of that program that we were working in, they said, Heather, you know, you raised us so well. And I looked at them kind of surprised. And I said, you know, I think we all raised each other really well. I learned so much from those years. Even though officially I was in a role of leadership and responsibility and power, and I respected that very much, the way that we do in those positions, we're actually all learning from each other. This is interesting. just happened last night. So sometimes admirable friendship or French friends that support us to be at our best are people that it's very obvious they're on the spiritual path of some kind. Sometimes it's much less obvious. So you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure. I always think about the opposite, which is sometimes I have really good friends and I'm sure you do too, and they actually feed our habits. We go to them and we say, oh, this thing happened and I'm so annoyed. And they jump right on the train with us and, yeah, you should be annoyed. That injustice, you know, how could they have treated you that way? And it's not as if something didn't happen, but they're not actually helping us to see clearly enough to respond at our best, even, you know, especially if it is injustice. Uh, so sometimes our friends are like that. Sometimes they really help us to break a habit pattern, to see from a different perspective, to pause. I was realizing that these days, a huge surprise to me. If you'd asked me this 10 years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. One of my best spiritual friends is actually my younger sister. 
And so if you'd asked me, well, maybe not 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, spiritual sister is a, uh, or your little sister is a spiritual muse, I would have said, absolutely not. We were fighting terribly. Neither one of us were treating each other very well. We weren't listening to each other. We weren't seeing each other. I'm sure you don't have family members like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some of you have or do. And so that was that cycle. Again, it's like we're weaving this insight into change and how that wakes us up all the way through. That was that cycle. And if you'd asked me at that time, will it change? I probably would have said, I hope so. I don't know if it'll change for the better. I don't know when it will change. I don't know how change is possible here, but I'm not going to give up. And in fact, in the cycle we're in now, you could say it's a happy ending. I don't know what it'll be like 10 years from now. (laughs) Families like that. But right now, it's really good. And sometimes I call her up or I Skype her. She lives in the South Bay. And I just say, Amy, can you just remind me who I am? I'm, I'm, I'm in all these communities where people are seeing me this way and that way. Can you remind me of my wholeness? I'll say, Amy, something happened. And I responded like this, and everyone else responded like that. And she'll say, well, yeah, Heather, that's just how you respond to something like that. And I just feel the relief coursing through my body that somebody's so allowing. They just say, yeah, that's how you are. Right. That's just how I am. And then I can see it clearly and perhaps uh, be in a more intimate relationship with how I am, which is also always changing. So that's admirable friendship. That is one support that helps us be awake in our lives. The second quality is adjusting our compass continuously to support what I call basic integrity. In the tradition, this often points to the five precepts of non-harming. And so, in this, really in the spirit of progress and not perfection, we do our best, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, to not take life um, intentionally, to not take what isn't offered, to be wise and careful with our sexuality and our speech and our use of intoxicants, which cloud the mind. So that's a traditional way that we can continually keep coming back to something that is an incredible protection for us, especially in those times when maybe you know the acronym HALT, when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Those moments. Just go, oh, okay, I'm not not at my best right now. What is my basic orientation to support protecting myself from acting unskillfully and then having to clean that up and deal with the results of that? These precepts. But I thought I'd bring in a few examples that I found recently online that you might not think of as uh, traditionally falling under these precepts. They're just some of my favorites. So one was a photo. It was the photo of a truck. And the truck, even in the photo, you could see that this truck had four incredibly bald tires. But the photo was focused on the driver's side window, where there was a large note (coughs) taped. And the note said this, Dear friend, I noticed that your tires were bald. 
if you go down two blocks to so-and-so auto shop and ask for Jimmy, uh, I've put a down payment for you to, or actually they, they covered it completely. I've paid for four new tires for your truck. You just have to go two blocks and ask for Jimmy. And then the last line of this note on this vehicle was, uh, I hope this helps. Someone did this for me once. And I just, it's like, that's it. And it's not about the tires. And it's not even about the, in this case, tremendously large financial generosity that was offered. It's about seeing that there's a need, whether we know them or not, having that impulse and realizing I could help. And then not getting so caught up in our busyness, our own sense of scarcity, or just kind of our own self-obsession that this is my world and this doesn't, isn't included in my world. And we walk on by. And how many times have we walked on by? It's not about the truck. It's really, really about seeing clearly, ah, out of basic integrity, I can now connect and respond and be helpful. Interestingly, there was uh, another photo in this same thing that I found that was also a vehicle. This is a much simpler one, just so that you don't get fixated on the, the tires and, oh, I could never do that for somebody. This was very simple. I think it was a green car, just a sedan. Window was down about this much. And shoved in the window very, very carefully was a plastic bag. The note on this window said this. Uh, Dear neighbor, I think it said... I noticed that your window was down and it's raining, so I shoved this plastic bag in so that your leather seats wouldn't get wet. Simple. Really, I look at these as the expressions of basic integrity. They're just expressions. Then one last example that for me I've been reflecting on a lot recently kind of as a, a balancing reflection to the pain that's being experienced between the law enforcement communities and some of our urban communities at this time, right? So there's a town in Canada where the law enforcement community made a decision in uh, one, of the, I don't know, one of the communities, one of the neighborhoods, they made a decision to change the way that they were giving tickets. They still give tickets the way that we all know about tickets, but they have a whole other program. And it's specifically targeted to the youth in this community. And it's a positive ticketing program. And so they'll start with kids really young, even in elementary school. And they'll be on the lookout to ticket them for actions that reveal integrity. Uh, interestingly, the tickets come along with vouchers, and the only voucher that I remember, I think there were more than this, but this is the one I remember, is you could get a voucher to get a burger at the local shop. So, you know, they'd come up, oh, I noticed that you're being helpful in this way, you're acting in integrity, let me give you a positive ticket, go enjoy your burger, and then that's recorded. So that actually the youth are growing up with a positive record. It's like, wow, that's a different way to approach it. You know, and not to be too idealistic, but again, it's just here we are in this one way, it is not working. So how are we going to expand larger? That's the question I keep asking. How are we going to expand larger?
So we have admirable friends and basic integrity. And then the third one is hearing the Dhamma, or hearing the truth as we understand it. One of my teachers from Asia, I remember, used to laugh a lot at us Western students. And he would say something like, you know, those of you that have grown up in the West, you meditate too much. (laughs) You just meditate too much. You think it's all about the meditation. Do you know how many people wake up just from hearing a simple word of truth? Lots of people wake up that way. And we kind of look at him and go, oh my gosh, does that mean I'm not supposed to meditate? It didn't mean that. He was just orienting to the fact that there's some cultural conditioning in our, let's just talk about American insight meditation communities, that the meditation is it, and that everything else is, you know, we do our best so that we can get to the real thing, which is the meditation. He was saying absolutely not. That hearing the truth, that that being in harmony with the nature of things, hearing the teachings is just as valid a way to wake up, to re-inspire ourselves. So, I'll give you a quote from the Buddha, and then I'll share with you some of my favorite non-Buddhist teachings of the last couple of weeks. Because they're everywhere, I'm sure you've noticed. Everywhere. So this is also a list of five. I'm sure you've noticed in Buddhism, we're into lists. There are these five rewards in listening to the Dhamma. Which five? Okay, you ready? Number one. One hears what one has not heard before. That could be really simple, like maybe you haven't heard one of those stories before. It could be something more nuanced, like, oh, that perspective. Somebody said something to me last night at this gathering. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember my response, which was I looked at her and said, I have never had that thought. It happens when we hear the teachings. Never had that thought. So one has heard what one has not heard before. Number two, one clarifies what one has heard before. Sometimes we need to hear something multiple times to take it in fully. Number three, one gets rid of doubt. Now this one's tricky because one of the ways that we quote unquote get rid of or transform or release doubt is actually through more doubt. And I just mentioned that so that we don't get discouraged and feeling even more doubt. Does that mean something, not getting it right or something? Sometimes we actually experience more doubt before less. And sometimes we kind of have to hit bottom with our doubts where we turn and reface ourselves and realize, oh, I have to look and see for myself. I'm not going to be able to figure it out through somebody else's perspective. I have to look and see for myself. Okay, so one hears what hasn't, one hasn't heard before, one clarifies what one has heard before, one gets rid of doubt. Four, one's views are made straight. Five, one's mind grows serene. Okay, just going to be on the lookout for those uh, any Sunday morning or any time you listen to a talk. I have a confession to make that I'm just in a stage in my own practice where after thousands and thousands of Dharma talks listened to, I'm just not in the mood to listen to more Dharma talks. <laughs> <laughs> thousands of Dharma talks given, heard, 
it's good stuff, but even that cycles. It's always changing. And so instead of fighting the cycle I'm in, oh, I should listen to more Dharma talks, it's like, ah, I'm going to open up and see the truth and the nature of things and the way understanding can be revealed through everything. So recently I was driving to teach a day long in Sacramento. And often when I'm driving to teach day longs, one of the little practices I do just for fun is I look at the bumper stickers on the cars around me just to see if there are any teachings there that I can bring to the day long for a good laugh and just to keep it current. So on this particular day, I was in Auburn, which is halfway between where I live and Sacramento. And sure enough, I pulled up at the stoplight and there it was, a bumper sticker that in large print said only this. Anything can happen. And I thought, that's it. That's it. That's such a fresh perspective. And then I started reflecting on how that can be such a great window in to practicing the third foundation of mindfulness. What's the third foundation of mindfulness? Mindfulness of our mind states, our mood of the mind. And I thought, oh yeah, if I was in an amazing place in my life and my spirit was uplifted and the glass was half full, I would look at that and go, yes, anything could happen. Reality is pregnant with possibility. I welcome that. Now, I could look at that very same bumper sticker and be in a time where there was a lot of difficulty, the glass was half empty, I was feeling down, I'd see that same bumper sticker, and the whole coloring of the mind would be, anything could happen. When's the other shoe going to drop? The world is just so stressful. Oh, anything could happen, and it does. That mind state. So everything is a doorway into whatever maps, lists, direct experience we happen to be in contact with. Here's another one. So I do listen to talks, and I do listen to teachings. It's just they're not always by Dharma teachers. This one was a talk on aging. And I think, really? Why were you listening to a talk on aging? Well, I was. By Isabel Allende, who's one of our local luminary uh, novelists, and uh, of course from Chile. And she was giving a talk on aging, and I love her work, and I respect her very much. Um, just the sense I get of her as a person, as well as as a novelist. And it was a wonderful talk, actually, if you're interested in talks on aging. It was on TED. And I find Ted to be a great source of uh, Dharma wisdom, <laughs> if you choose carefully. And the, my favorite line in the talk was this. She said, and she was talking about aging. She said, letting go is great. I should have started long ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. She started the talk by walking on stage. And there's this whole, you know, hundreds, I don't know, many, many, many people. She goes, hey, kids. And everyone starts laughing. They're clearly not kids. The very next thing she said is, she just looked at them. She said, I'm 71 years old. And everyone looked at her and laughed. And then they all started applauding. I thought, what a beautiful thing. So different than much of our cultural conditioning to applaud that somebody gets to survive that long, that somebody's willing to be transparent about something like that in the midst of a culture where we spend a lot of time and energy trying to deny truths like that. You know, again, this is something about being in harmony with impermanence. 
And we don't have to fight that. And yes, I don't know as much about it as some, as some of you do, but I know how it works about holding on and letting go. And I know how it works about being transparent about things that our culture isn't transparent about and the risk involved in that. So I really enjoyed the talk. Maybe you'll check it out. Letting go is great. I should have started long ago. And then I just pulled out, let's see, something else that occurred to me. I've also been reading and uh, listening to uh, a lot recently, uh, Pico Ayer, right? So uh, Indian ethnicity, but he never lived in that country. He grew up in Britain, and then he's lived for almost 50 years in this country. Great travel writer and uh, wise, wise man. So here's a couple of quotes by him. One is a quote connected to a time, so I thought it would fit here well, where he was overworked. I'm sure no one here has ever been overworked. And so he decided to go to a monastery. He didn't say which one, but probably a Christian monastery on the California coast somewhere, and just take some time on the coast. And he said that he went into the room and there was no technology and there was just a bed and the view and a desk. And that what actually happened for him when he got into the space where all of the complexity fell away was the first thing was he just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote for like several hours. It was almost as if everything that had built up with him just needed to be released onto the page because that's his modality. We each have our modalities of just releasing what we've overfilled. And then he just did nothing. He enjoyed the privilege of having meals made for him. He took long walks. He sat and looked at the view. Here's what he said. I was doing my most important work invisibly, but doing nothing. Another way of putting that same line is I was doing my most important work invisibly by doing nothing. And then later he said, only by stopping movement you can see where to go. Now this is somebody who has a million miles on his United Airlines frequent flyer program. A million. Only by stopping movement can you see where to go. So, hearing the Dharma. Good friends, basic integrity, hearing the Dharma. Wise effort. So, wise effort is part, if you're interested in this, is part of the Eightfold Noble Path, which is the kind of the Buddha's how-to. How to support not being so lost in struggle, in suffering, in unsatisfactoriness how to become more free, how to find peace in the midst of that. And so it's one of the eight. And, you know, in a small way, we can say that the eight are talking about how to be wise uh, with basic integrity, with wisdom, with meditation. But there's four parts to wise effort. And the first part is what I call preventative medicine. Because it's, Okay, I'm going into a situation that I know is going to be difficult, 
the likelihood that I respond reactively is extremely high. I'm going to ask for support, apply tools, call forth my natural resiliency in advance so that maybe I don't have to go quite so far up the ladder of reactivity in that event. You know, plug in your own event, we've all got one. Could be at work, could be at home, could be on the streets, could be anywhere. So preventative. The second part is when it's already happened. We're in a rage, we're in freeze, we're collapsed, we're in tears, we're whatever it is that we do. We're fully, fully upset and uh, not here. So it's, we can of course be upset and be here, but in this case, there's a lack of presence. So at that point, we're not doing preventative medicine, we're doing active medicine. We're saying, okay, so what helps me to change the channel when I'm in it? Uh, which reminds me of a story that is told in James Barris's Awakening Joy book. And there's just a few stories from that that I always remember. Since it's local, there was a guy who was driving across the, which bridge? One of the bridges here. And traffic jam, surprise, surprise. And he got upset, another big surprise. And it was his habit to get upset in traffic. And if it's our habit to get upset in traffic living here, it can be, well, we can spend a portion of every day upset. So it's not as if it's not difficult, but we want to have other options available. And so he was taking the Awakening Joy course, and he was once again upset. And what happened was he had a moment of insight in the middle of the upset. And so he was able to transform or abandon this not helpful habit pattern in the moment. And what happened for him, it was like this. It started with a thought, and the thought was, wait a minute, could I change the channels here? And then what he did, basically, I don't know if he knew he was doing it, but from nervous system science, he started to orient. He started to look around, and then the mindfulness increases and take in his whole environment, not just the brake lights fixated in front of him. And there he is on one of our beautiful bridges, and it was a gorgeous day, and he, saw, and he said, you know, it started to change, and this is the Bay Area, he opened his sunroof, and he's like, it's a beautiful day, the weather's great. He was able to transform the reactivity in the moment. We can do that. That's part of wise effort. <clears throat> Another part of wise effort is the opposite, which is we can cultivate things that help us in advance. In advance of them happening. So that looks like I have a lot of self-hatred. Maybe if I wish myself well before I fall down the next hole of self-hatred, that might be helpful. Or I have a lot of anger towards a colleague. Maybe before I get into another argument with them, I could take a breath, feel my feet, uh, remind myself that there's more happening in the world than me and them, and on and on and on. So we can cultivate it. And then when we notice that our whole state of being is helpful, to actually support that and celebrate it. And that's not cheating to celebrate our own goodness and our own skillfulness. It's a really important part of wise effort, which is different than some of our conditioning of believing that in fact, I'm this person who, whatever your version of that is, I'm this person who isn't good enough or 
you know, right now I'm not angry, but I am a person who is angry. We get so caught up in who we take ourselves to be that we miss, and, and I'm talking about in a negative way in that case, who we take ourselves to be, that we miss when we stepped outside our own box, our own conditioning. And then we're missing the opportunity to smile, to celebrate, to say, oh, yeah, there's room for possibility here. Anything could happen in the glasses half full in this case. So that is the wise effort. Let's see. Let me time check here. Give you uh, one story that's a concrete example. And it's a story about working with fear. It's a true story. Happened between a father and a son. The son was somewhere between 8 and 10 years old at the time of the story. And they were out hiking. It was a beautiful day. And any of you that has hiked with a child knows that, or done anything with a child knows, that timing isn't what you think. And especially not on a hike. And so they were coming back a little later than anticipated. Sometimes with a kid it can be earlier than anticipated for different reasons, but this time it was later. And it was starting to get um, dusk. And they had to hike through a forest to get back to the trailhead. And the little kid started to get scared. And he did one of the things that kids do when they start to get scared, which is he started to dig in. First was like, I know, it's dark, there's trees. And then he just stopped and kind of literally dug in his heels. I'm not going any further. Asserted his authority as a child. And of course, it's getting dark, I'm sure. Maybe the dad was tired, maybe they were dehydrated. I don't know the details, right? But it's just one of those moments where you look at your kid and go, I just wish they would be otherwise, but they're not. <laughs> we can look at ourselves in the same moments. It's like, oh, I wish it was otherwise, but I'm not. And, but the father was a practitioner. And so he squatted down with his son. He said, son, son, I understand. It's scary. Which, just naming it, whether we're naming it to ourselves in meditation or naming it to somebody else to say, yeah, it's like this, de-escalates it already. And he says, son, you want me to tell you what I do when I get scared? And the kid's kind of like, mm -hmm. <laughs> And then he kind of came around, well, okay. And the dad said, well, I just, I just say something to it. The kid kind of looked at him, what? And the dad said, well, yeah, I just, I just say, hello, fear. That's what I say when I get afraid. You want to try it? No. Well, let's try it. I'll try it. I'll do it for you. That's good parenting here. I'll do it for you. So they start walking down the hill, and the dad's saying, hello, fear, hello, fear, hello, fear. And the kid starts, and by the time they're, like, through the woods, they're, like, skipping down the hill, screaming hello, fear, at the top of their lungs. Okay? That's not the end of the story. The end of the story happens that evening, where they're back at home, and it is summertime. And there's a little kiddie pool in the back. It's dark. The kid's in the kiddie pool. Dad's inside. There's a moment when Dad doesn't hear anything. When any of us who care for somebody of any age where we're responsible for their well-being, it's like, I'm not hearing anything. We orient. We have that feeling inside. And he went over to the uh, screen door. The sliding door was open. And he looked outside, it was dark, he couldn't see anything. He was about to call to his son, son, are you okay? 
And in that moment of pause before he called to his son, he heard something, this quiet, quiet voice. And you know what it said. Hello, fear. Kid had gotten afraid outside in the dark in the pool and was actually able to use the tool for himself. And the dad smiled, and he didn't interfere with his son's experience, and he turned back to whatever he was doing. There's so many pieces of wise effort in that. It's like the kid was, in that last case, he was able to apply the tool before he escalated. They were able to use the tool together and celebrate that tool together, skipping down the hill. They were able to support each other as spiritual friends in developing preventative medicine for the future. So this is very simple, wise effort. So that leads us to kind of the overarching, the fifth piece, right, of of the insight and impermanence. And that story, everything illuminates it. It's like, there we are, we have a cycle of fear, we have a cycle of empowerment, we have a cycle of fear, we have a cycle of empowerment. That's called being human. We've got cycles where we dig in and say, no, I'm not taking this anymore, and we have cycles where we're willing to bend in the wind. We have cycles where we wish it was otherwise, and we have cycles where we can smile at the acceptance of how things are. And when we can really, really rest in just the cycles, and not even what is this, what is cycling, just the cycles, there's so much awakeness there. Everything's more alive. So normally I would end with some quote that, I don't know, bookmarks something, but I'm going to leave a few minutes for you to be the bookmark and just see if there's a kind of headline story about a spiritual friend you have or a question that wants to be asked. Is there anything like that? Uh, uh, yeah. Quite very interesting talk, and uh, uh, also <coughs> like to add, uh, it's a comment, not a real question, but I have a video for story that... Uh, for me, really, nature connects to the moment. It's uh, waking up to the moment. And uh, I was on a retreat here 10 years ago, and uh, was really on my mind, uh, a lot of worries. And it was the time of the monarch butterflies in Big Sur. was yes. really so many butterflies. And I was walking in the path in the, tra- the trail, and there was a dead butterfly right in front of me. Yeah. And another butterfly. Uh, flying around me. Yeah. And right in front of me, the uh, living butterfly picked up the dead butterfly, took her away, um, take away somebody's shop. And when I see that, I was in awe. Oh my God, I'm worried about my thoughts and things and the awakening right in front of me. Nature yes. supporting yes. me, the dead butterfly yeah. being picked up by the living butterfly. And I never heard that before, and that was really amazing. And uh, every time I heard that, uh, um, uh, this kind of topic really uh, see how uh, nature is the big response for me to 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 awaken me at the present moment. Thank you. Oh, such a great story. Thank you for sharing it. And it's so great how the word Dhamma can be translated as nature. And it's like, oh yeah, you received the Dhamma. You received the nature teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be so helpful. Thank you. Please. Hi, thank you so much for talking. You, you said something that was really, really important to me, and that's the story about the, the truck yeah. and the ball tires. And yeah. I, um, I once had a, a car, and it was an older car, it was a poor car, and I let the, the tires get very, very old. And I was just being cheap, you know. 
And I remember uh, hitting the brakes one time and sliding through the intersection. Mm. And luckily for me, there was nobody there, so I didn't hit anybody mm. there. So had I seen this truck, I my first thought would have been reported. Yeah. This should be having a ticket. <laughs> it should be off the road. It is my duty to call this in because this selfish person can have a blowout on the freeway and cause an accident and kill a family, or he can, you know, it could be raining and he will just do, you know, I've had experience slide right through an intersection yeah. and he can kill somebody yeah. and that's where my mind would have gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I would have thought, you know, that's the right thing to do. It's like, you know, that this is a selfish, dangerous person who owns this truck. Yeah. And yet, what what that person did was amazing. Yeah. And absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like, that person didn't just give, you know, give this guy a new set of tires. He, he probably saved somebody's life. You know, I mean, he, I'm sure he, he may have prevented a, an accident yeah. of some kind. Right. So I think that was an absolutely wonderful story, and I really, really appreciate it very much you telling me. Um, just quickly, the other things that you said were about how things that we hear that just click. Mm -hmm. And um, two things that, I, that that I heard, and one was just recently, and it, it was it was in a Dharma talk, and uh, and somebody said, "Love is not just an emotion; it's an action." Yeah. And I was like, I woke up. Right, that's your double take. What? I was like, I, simple, yeah. short. I've heard these words all, you know, the way it was put, I was like, of course, I never thought about that. I mm. never, it, it woke me up. Another thing that, that, that I heard one time, just a long time ago, and who didn't help with my meditation, was that somebody said, you know what, I have a mind. I am not my mind mm. you know and that helped me mm -hmm. to me so anyway I, I appreciate your talk very much and i got a lot out of it so thank you very much you're welcome thank you for giving a great postscript to the truck tire story I, I may include it not in terms of yourself but just in terms of yeah there's so many things we could think when we see bald tires right so then the story just grows and it grows because we share our stories so thank you is there time for one more? Yeah? Yes, there is. Uh oh, but there's two oh, more, so maybe we'll make it brief. Okay. I was just going to ask about um, you have friends in your life, close friends, and they may be on the spiritual path and may just be a close friend, and often yeah. you're, you're talking about what you're struggling with, and they, they give you advice. Yeah. And, and then you get a reaction to the advice, and I'm always kind of going, is this wisdom he's giving me, or is this projection uh -huh. of his own stuff? Uh -huh. I sit there, or or is it wisdom and I'm being resistant? Mm -hmm. Or you know, uh, so how do you how do you sit with the advice and, and know whether it's wisdom or something else? Yeah, that's 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 a great uh, conundrum. It's a great question. <laughs> um, and I think in a, in a simple way, because I'm interested in simple, I'll remember it, you know. Um, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about doubt and how when we're in a moment of perplexity and this question, is this just my reactivity or is this actually not helpful, that we train ourselves to take that pause, which is so empowering because we actually have to go turn back to ourselves and trust our own inner knowing. And it's, again, in the spirit of progress, not perfection, how do I learn what my own inner knowing is? 
I look inside and then I make a mistake because I'm reading it incorrectly or the reactivity has colored it so much that I'm going with like what I actually want instead of listening a little more deeply. But that moment of pause, if nothing needs to happen right then or even after the conversation, we can so easily integrate what somebody else said, especially if we trust them or respect them. It's like, oh, this is reality. We take that time to investigate. We do it different ways. You know, some of us write a little bit, some of us take a run, some of us meditate, some of us just sort of go ruminate about it. Um, but it's an important process, not just for that, but for a lot of things. So thanks for bringing it in. I'm thinking maybe we could just talk um, for a moment right after we're done so that we end on time. Who was who, it that had their hand raised? Oh, yeah. So maybe we could just check in right after we're done for purpose of time. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your sharing. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, so our originally scheduled speaker for next week, Stuart Savatsky, has been rescheduled to October 25th. So next week will be an open discussion where we break down into small groups and uh, get to know each other better. Oh, that's great. And uh, next week is also our annual retreat, so it's likely to be a smaller group. So if you really like an intimate group, next week should be good for you. So, um, we rely on your generosity to support and sustain the Sangha. So, and uh, Donna is the practice of generosity, which, uh, as David Lewis once reminded me, is not just for the benefit of the Sangha, but it's also a practice that the giving is a benefit to, to us. So we really appreciate your support. Uh, our host will be coming around with the Donna Bowl. Suggested donation is $10. Whatever you can give is truly appreciated. And other announcements? I have an announcement. Uh, this week in the Moscone Center, uh, there'll be a really interesting event uh, uh, sponsored by Dreamforce. It'd be uh, I think it starts at 11, it's to register on, online, it would be go to home, check cornfields or brush and order starts from uh, 11 to 2. So I recommend it, I heard the several talks of uh, Tara Brock and she's really amazing, so we highly recommend this opportunity to receive you. Okay. Michael, who's going to be uh, leading the group next week? It's going to be Oswaldo. Okay. Yeah. Yes, Marcus. And I'm the host uh, today, so there's a few things in there to eat. Please help yourself. There's hot water for tea. Uh, just make sure you clean out your cup when you're done. More soapy water. And um, there's a sign-in sheet, I think, on the credenza. If you'd like to get onto our email list and receive uh, mailings. Um, and then some of us meet at 1230. Um, after uh, to go to lunch, if you want to do that, so and I'll be working on the dog. Any other announcements? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't bring anything today, um, but I just want to say that if you're ever in Nevada City, you are welcome. We have an all uh, Donna based actual center that we own up there, so it's called Mountain Stream Meditation. But you can also, if you just remember my name, Heather Sundberg, um, Mountain Stream has a website, but you might remember Heather Sundberg more, and you can find out more about that on my website. And then I'm down here teaching a lot, so uh, you're always welcome at, at any Spirit Rock retreat, but certainly I'd love to see you at any that I'm teaching. So occasionally I'll do um, 
stuff in the community hall that's non-residential of a couple days in early October and then just kind of my usual residential schedule. So you just go on Spirit Rock and look up Heather Sundberg. Blah, blah, blah. But really, blah, blah, blah aside, I'd love to see you in other venues. So you're welcome. Okay, let's gather in a circle for our dedication. Let's take a moment to expand our awareness through our own being, throughout this circle, and into the wider world. We can take so much delight that we cannot do this practice for ourselves alone or by ourselves alone. We do it together. It's a very simple dedication that I enjoy. If you feel like joining in, we'll do a call and response. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May I receive the blessings of my life. May I receive the blessings of my life. May those I love receive the blessings of my life. May those I love receive the blessings of my life. May those I do not love receive the blessings of my life. May those I do not love receive the blessings of my life. May all those in this circle receive the blessings of my life. May all those in this circle receive the blessings of my life. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. Let it flow. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.